Hey, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. This is Brendan Sinone joining me today. Chris Nee, Bob Ferrante, uh, fresh off a uh, long venture to uh, Winston-Salem to see FSU beat Wake Forest, uh, narrowly 26-19 for FSU to get its first win of the season. Uh, guys, uh, real quick, I'm going to ask you whether uh, after the win you're more optimistic more optimistic about FSU's outlook for the season or less optimistic. Uh, Bob, more or less? Slightly more optimistic, Slight, just slightly. Slightly more. Uh, Chris? Less. Less optimistic. I'm going to go with less optimistic, but I'll, I'll cheat like Bob did and go with slightly less optimistic. Um, listen, a win is a win. Uh, it's important. Jimbo Fisher talked about that after the game is, is that Florida State kind of had to learn how to, how to, you know, crawl before it can walk. You have to get that first win, figure out how to win a close game. You know, Florida State fell off against Alabama, fell off against NC State, couldn't close either game. So to get the first one, that's great. But, man, guys, a, a lot to uh, still be kind of concerned about that didn't look pretty. We kind of thought coming into it, I think all three of us were actually pretty close with our predictions of how we thought the game was going to to kind of shake out. But but just not a lot to, to be excited about if you're Florida State other than the win. Uh, Bob, just your general impressions. I guess let's start off with the offense. Uh, only only manages 26 points and just did not look very efficient doing it. What, what kind of stood out to you on that side of the ball? The offensive line struggles were just, you know, throughout the game, a, a, a consistent storyline. They had 17, allowed Wake Forest to have 17 tackles for loss. That's just an incredible number. We'll have to go back <laughs> yeah. and find when the last time Forest State gave up anywhere near 17. But, you know, that affects everything. Your, your passing game, your ground attack, Blackman's comfort in his first road start. It just, the pieces didn't feel like they were together. There were some big plays. There were some some good plays here and there, but not a lot of sustained drives. And again, red zone, settling for three instead of seven. Yeah. The, Chris, you're good at math. What, 64 plays for Florida State, 17 tackles for loss. What is that? Almost one every four plays. <laughs> so, so 68 plays would be 25% of all right, 17. All right. So, so, yeah, a quarter of your plays basically are ending not even positively, negatively. I mean, that's just behind the line of scrimmage. That's not including a zero-yard gain, a one- or two-yard gain on first down. That's just that's negative plays. Uh, why, Chris? I mean, looking at the game, why was that such an issue for Florida State? The offensive line is simply awful. And FSU, from a play-calling perspective, is doing nothing to aid them. Yeah. There is no effort by Jimbo and by that offensive staff to – do anything to alleviate the pressure that that offensive line is feeling. Mm-hmm. They were good against Bama, and they've been horrendous in the last two games, and they looked horrible against a Wake Forest defensive front that basically played them straight up. Wake didn't do a whole lot of magic. They didn't do a whole lot of blitz, and they didn't bring a whole lot of extra people. They just whooped their ass straight up in the pit. Yeah, I, I counted for when I went back and looked at some of the passing stats, two blitzes where, where Wake sent more than four guys twice. Uh, and Florida State started off with a lot of short screens and stuff like that, but it wasn't – it wasn't as much as it was against NC State where they were trying to really kind of ease James Blackman in. Um, they kind of started letting him throw the ball down the field. It worked sometimes. Other times it didn't. Uh, I want to get into the play calling, Chris, because I think that's an interesting point. But let's focus on the offensive line because all three of us uh, circled that as a point that was obviously uh, disturbing. Uh, I, I was really disappointed with Josh Ball. I mean, yeah, he's a guy that you liked for, he's a, guy for a while. I'm high on. He's a guy that I heard a lot of positives during the offseason. He got his shot. He had his most extensive playing time. He didn't play very well. No. And it was disappointing because I do feel like they need an answer at the tackle positions. Their current tackle players available isn't very good. Derek Kelly's a guard. Rick Leonard's a transition defensive lineman. Brock Rubel shouldn't ever play tackle again in his life. He's not good at it. I mean, he came in immediately, was beaten. Anybody in that stadium that was watching that play knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. It was clear as day. He's just not good at that spot. He did a better job at guard. Not that he performed very well, but he did do a better job at guard than he did at tackle in that game. I mean, they're a mess at tackle. It's it's 
literally incredible how a school that can recruit at an elite level like FSU is so bad at the tackle position. If they have another injury beyond the guys they currently are using at tackle, they're going to have to go to Ethan Frith at offensive tackle. All right, and you mentioned mentioned Josh Ball. Uh, based on some of the numbers that I kind of dug up this morning, uh, we're doing this podcast on a Monday. Uh, I think Josh Ball had three of the 11 pressures that, that I totaled uh, or tallied up for, for Florida State. Uh, so 11 pressures, 26 dropbacks. Uh, Chris, you pointed out earlier, that's almost, I mean, it is as many pressures on the quarterbacks as it is completions. Yeah. And <laughs> at what point is... Which Jim, isn't good. At what point is Jimbo Fisher going to realize that the offensive line is an atrocity mm-hmm. and that you have a quarterback who is capable of throwing with his feet in movement and that you can move the pocket? It is allowed. You don't have to drop back and play Alabama offense all day, I mean, old school Alabama offense. You're allowed to move James Blackman. You're allowed to do some things with him. It, it just, watching four quarters in Winston-Salem, it made no sense to me to play calling. I'm and that's happy. a third straight game where the play calling hasn't exactly made sense to me. Oh, hold on on the play calling, because I do want to get to that, because I, I don't think they helped out. They're playing, they're calling plays scared right now. That's they abundantly don't have an offensive clear. identity. Yeah, they don't. They don't. Um, but but sticking with the offensive line real quick. So, first, I mean, injuries. That doesn't help. No. Uh, they, were, they were serviceable against Alabama. They took a step back against NC State, which is a really good defensive line. Uh, and then, you know, on Saturday against Wake Forest, a defensive line that is average, above average, is a decent power five defensive line. Uh, it's not near it's, the level of the one they played the week prior. It wasn't the one prior, and their stats were significant, not significant, they were minorly worse um, in both, you know, uh, passing uh, or time to pass for James Blackman and pressure allowed. Um and that was with significantly less passes too. So, so the time, the game didn't really evolve to where the defense line was able to start getting juice, and and Florida State wasn't having to play from that far behind. I mean, this was a, a no mistakes about it a step back for the offensive line, a group that had been shaky at best. You can make that case where it was above average, below average, poor, whatever. This was a regression for that for that group. Um, and I just was it injuries or is this just kind of the identity of of this Florida State offensive line? Is it just that much of a concern at this point? Can I go with both? Because honestly, yeah. I, think it, I think it is. Yeah. I think it is identity. I think it's, you know, yes, it's a big deal when you have Landon Dickerson, your your best offensive lineman, go down to an injury. You're you're kind of mixing and matching, trying to figure out who fits best where. Mm-hmm. But to have Derek Kelly and Dickerson out at times, you're trying to figure out is is Brock Rubel the guy? Clearly, he's not. If he's in one on one matchups no. against some really good, um, you know, Wake linemen, mm-hmm. we didn't really see Ryan Izzo come in and chip or or Jacquez Patrick come in and chip to help out. Ruble, I, I think that was a really bizarre lack of, of coaching and, and being aware of that situation where Ruble is jumping in into left tackle. He's not really played left tackle ever. He needs to have help. No, they he tried can't. moving him away from the edge. I mean, he was at right tackle his entire career, and then this preseason they started working him at guard because, like, just right tackle yeah. not working. I, I think chemistry and cohesion and injuries, you know, that's it's one position where one injury on a five-man line is really felt. But to not coach it to where you can help a kid out, I think that was really a, a frustrating spot. It, it's an obvious spot. I think Wake is seeing that from the from the press box, and they know exactly what to do on that first play. It's obvious. Yeah, and when we look at Florida State and the depth of the offensive line, uh, Chris, I want to get your thoughts on this. Florida State has poured, when we talk about recruiting resources, scholarships, uh, travel budget, into recruiting offensive line, uh, that they've by far expanded their amount of scholarships to that position. Now, how many entering the season did they have scholarship offensive linemen? 16? Does that yeah, sound right, roughly? Right. It's off the top of my head. Uh, and Jimbo's talked about wanting to kind of expand that. And, and then in, in addition to the 
extra emphasis on scholarship, uh, those offensive linemen that they are spending time on and resources for, for traveling and recruiting, like most of those guys are out-of-state offensive linemen. I'm, I'm trying to think you look left to right on that offensive line. I mean, Derek Kelly's local, but Landon mm-hmm. Dickerson's out-of-state. Alec Eberle's center's out-of-state. Cole Minshew is out-of-state. Uh, and at right tackle, Rick Leonard's out of state. And a lot of those guys aren't just in Georgia. I mean, you know, Cole, is Cole Minshew is, but everyone else on that line is a healthy flight. And it's like that for the second group, too. A good chunk of that line isn't just guys that you're recruiting uh, in your backyard. So there's uh, what I guess is what I'm trying to say is there's a substantial amount of, of resources and energy being put into that position to make sure if there's an injury, you have the depth to be okay. And, and what we saw on Saturday is, is that depth is shaky, man. Yeah, but from a recruiting and accumulation of talent standpoint, FSU's done it wrong with the offensive line. It doesn't they, look good, yeah. They got a big class in 2016, and it was entirely out of necessity because they had neglected it for years, and they reached a point where they had no depth. Well, they did have so the big class in 2014. And but it, it just, didn't pan out. It didn't. You had two and, Juco guys. You had Kareem Mare. But here's um, the thing. You can't skip a year in recruiting. No. When you're recruiting big-body people, every year you should bring a handful in. Last year, FSU took one offensive lineman, yeah. Brady Scott, who's a – you know, we'll see how he pans out. But he wasn't a blue-chip guy by any stretch of the imagination. Last year's offensive line class nationally was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. One of the better years. 2016 was. 2017. Yeah. The 2017 class. Oh, sorry, yeah. Was phenomenal. One so, of the better years I can remember. And FSU decided, we're only going to take one and ignored it. It's insane to me that they don't just stock up. For the love of God, if you're going to carry six tight ends on your roster, feel free to carry six to eight offensive tackles. Don't hesitate. It's an extremely important position to the entire success of your offense. At some point, take notice of that and start accumulating talent. They've had some rough breaks, Jawan Williams getting hurt. But relying on guys like Jawan Williams and Josh Ball, they're redshirt freshmen. You don't want redshirt freshmen offensive linemen playing if you can afford it. You'd much rather juniors and seniors playing. FSU's problem is they've not done consistent enough, let's get five here, five there, five there, five there, figure out what works, get rid of what doesn't work, make sure the numbers work, keep accumulating the talent, keep developing it, and developing it year by year. And they've just not done that. And that it's foolish. It's a bad approach, and they've done a poor job of it, and they're reaping repercussions of it. That, combined with coaching issues, is a major reason that offensive line is in shambles. Yeah, 2015 class, they had Abdul Bello, who was a four-star guy, top 100 recruit nationally, and that hasn't worked out at this yeah, point. To this point, he's made no contract. He doesn't look like he's close. And what we saw from him in the spring game, like he's close to, to seeing the field. And clearly, I mean – yeah. Ball was in front of him. Uh, it just it, that doesn't look good. David Robbins and Cole Minshew were the other guys in that 15 class. So to your point, Chris, they only had three in that group. So they load up on guys in, in the previous class and in 16. Uh, but when you miss uh, at that position, and it's super hard to evaluate offensive linemen. I, I think as a recruiting industry, you look at the 24/7 sports rankings is hard. You look at the NFL like first round draft picks is probably the highest bust rate is offensive yeah. line. It's hard. But with that in mind, you just over recruit it, and that's what you do. Uh, and they've started they do that with the D line. Yeah, and it's been a consistent theme with them on the D line. Given they've had times where they've had issues getting D tackles, you know, back with uh, Marvin Austin that time, mm-hmm. and then in recent years there's been some plights with getting D ends. But in general, their approach is let's just get as many as we can, see how it turns out. With the O line, they did that once a couple years ago, but they haven't done it consistently as a theory for year over year over year, and yeah. you have to do that. Yeah, it seems like they were trying to make up for for some misses, you it, know, it, previously, it's, and it's just they haven't been able to get. It's like Jimbo Fisher and Rick Trickett never sat there and thought, you know, Roderick Johnson's almost certainly going pro after his junior year. Who's next at left tackle? And they had no clue when last season ended who the answer to that question was. You you mentioned. Coaching issues, and, and I'm typically the last one to get on board with that. I think there's usually reasons for everything, but man, at this point, 
um, the group should be performing better. I, yeah. think, I think that's where we're at with it. They have, you know, they've put in resources into recruiting it uh, to where they are willing to, to invest in that position. Uh, you're in an area where Florida, Georgia, you should be able to get some decent offensive linemen. You shouldn't have to go out of state for all of them, uh, and the results just aren't great. Other than 2013, 2014 seasons when you had a prodigy, you know, making pre-play reads and stuff and Jameis Winston, the offensive line just hasn't been consistent. They're always going to be up there in sacks allowed because Florida State runs an offense that looks different than everyone else's. They do more pro-style stuff. That's part of it. Uh, but but the rushing game hasn't been very good this season. Uh, you had Dalvin Cook to kind of make up for that the last couple of years, and right now it doesn't look like Dalvin Cook's you know, walking through that door. It's just tough There's to remember. No one like that. It's tough to remember instances where the offensive line just beat the defensive line they faced consistently. In the last few years. And just and just yeah, and part of it's been. This was the this was the opportunity for them to do that. I understood, you know, Alabama. That wasn't going to happen. No one does that to Alabama. Uh, do, doesn't matter. Um, and but they so, actually played well against Bama. They did. I mean, if we're comparing it to the they results did. of the other, and that's what I'm wondering how much makes. And let's maybe time to transition to the quarterback play. Um, I wonder how much of that is is what the play calling is to kind of help out with a young freshman quarterback and James Blackman. Because uh, he did have DeAndre Francois. I don't know how much that was changing with pre-play snaps and, and reads and stuff like that. Internal clock of the quarterback. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Francois had, you know, it was tough. In that first half against Alabama, if we go back and remember that, I remember we were all very impressed with how he looked. He missed a couple passes uh, that, that would have really helped him open the game up, but he looked sharper. He was doing a good job passing off a platform, moving around in the pocket. And then the second half, things spiraled out of control, and he kind of pressed, and then, you know, obviously the injury. Uh, it's different for James Blackman. I get it. You're, he's a guy who was playing high school ball uh, a year ago at this time, uh, but there doesn't seem to be a great grasp of of what's working for him with the play calling, or at least just I mean the efficiency's been bad, and it's tough to really kind of pinpoint where the what's happening, why he hasn't been efficient through two games. I think maybe it starts with with again using Izzo as a blocker who can chip and and be an extra offensive lineman in a sense. Because if Florida State's really not going to use they're, they're the not throw, ends, They're not throwing the ball to, to, to Izzo. That's where I'm going. They should throw to their tight ends. But if they're going to choose not to, or if Blackman just doesn't have that kind of chemistry and rapport yet, mm-hmm. then by all means, let's use Izzo's strength, which is as a blocker. Very good blocker. To, yeah. to buy more time for James and to give him some more comfort. Because Miami is another top 10 defensive line. This is up there with you know, maybe a notch below Alabama, but not a, not a, not a deep notch. We're, they're right there. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know... We, we have seen James be comfortable at times, second and third quarter against NC State, but really not comfortable at all up at Wake. I don't think that was that was the crowd or the road or, or anything situational as far as the atmosphere, but Jimbo needs to find comfort and find plays that work for James. Let him go downfield. Let him take some shots. Uh, the screens did work. Those were good plays a few times to Jaquez Patrick, but overall, Nyquan hasn't been a big part of this offense. Auden Tate was injured and really didn't play except for maybe, what, five, six plays at the most on Saturday? So when you take out Auden and Murray, that's that's a big part of your offense that you're just not utilizing. And again, the lack of depth at wide receiver, I'll go back to recruiting there, you're in the state of Florida, man. Like it, 
it has to be better. You can't be this short on numbers at wide receiver uh, to where you lose one guy and that just completely changes the dynamic uh, of your offense. That's that's not great. Uh, but going back to James, uh, I have some numbers I want to throw out there. But first, Chris, you, you were talking about the, the play calling, um, not loving it, how it's <laughs> why. Not loving it is Ooh. understandable. <laughs> There's an entire lack of creativity with what FSU is willing to do on offense. And I'm not talking trick plays. I'm not talking putting cam makers in the back row. Oh, you I'm think simply, he's going to play at the Wildcat? No, quarter? I'm not even getting into that. I'm talking about simply playing to your weaknesses and your strengths. And yeah. Your weakness right now is clearly your offensive line. They're, mm-hmm. they're playing horrendously. And your strength is that you got a guy with a pretty magical arm, so yeah. set up the big throws. Yeah. I'm not saying you just drop back and you sling it all day. You can't afford to you can't, do that. You can't do that. Yeah. But quick passes, working to the middle of the field. I know he'll talk about quick passes, but they're all bubbles and the quick things to the sides. Uh, that's, that shit's not working, by the way. The bubble no, screens no. and, and they, Bob said so they hit they hit two nice ones to you Patrick. Got, you got running backs who can catch. Yeah. Let them kind of sit down in the middle of that field. You got tight ends who are capable. Mm-hmm. Let them sit down in the middle of that field. Quick two three second route set. You're able to get rid of it. It neutralizes the fact your line isn't playing well. And set up the haymakers where you go vertical because clearly that is the kid's greatest strength. That's when he's his most comfortable. That's my Ben. I I agree with you completely, Chris. He looks so much more comfortable when he's able to throw the ball, even when he misses the ball downfield. Like it's not far off. Oh, there was a one, I think, to, to Nooney on the far right corner in the first half. Uh, that was about 20 yards downfield, and it was just a little bit too high for, for Murray to get. But, man, it was a hell of a pass. Yeah. Uh, there's another one, I think it was to Murray again, that uh, the safety broke up. Whoever the safety is for Wake Forest. Um, Jesse Bates? Yeah, man, he's he's a player. Number three. Yes, yeah. he's a player, and he made he a hell of a play. He had the excellent PBU along the side. Yeah, that was the play. He, yeah. um, it was a good pass. It was just a better – but but to to that point, like – James looks much more comfortable making those throws downfield. He connects on them, and I think it plays to your wide receiver's strengths as well because you have an Auden Tate, you have George Campbell, you have Keith Gatton, you have tall guys. The, the wide receivers, and I'm not including Tate in this statement, and to some degree not even Keith Gavin because he's done it on a few instances. They need to fight for the ball better. Yeah. Nyquan's been a non-existent Cam- Campbell player, was kind of a disappointment. And with and, Campbell didn't do that, that very well yeah. on Saturday. When you have a quarterback who needs all the help in the world, go do your job. You're yeah. really talented, big for the most part, big-bodied wide receivers. Go win that ball, and they're not doing that effectively enough. And when FSU does decide to max protect, which we saw a few times on Saturday, it's going to be you know one to two receiving options. That ball's coming your way. You know it's coming your way. Go get that ball. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the FSU offense. It, there's a clear disconnect with the coaching and the execution by the players and the coaches. It's just it's not working. Mm-hmm. The, they need to figure out what the heck their identity is, be that, and go be as good as you can be. Whether yeah. that's, you know, line up in the eye and run the ball, whether that's, you know, a lot of quick passing with setting up haymakers, whether that's, you know, we're going to use big outside threats we haven't put up in the air, figure out what you're going to be and go execute and be that. You know, the, the offense cannot survive if they're trying to be this huge m- multiple-look Versatile offense that can do a lot of different things. It's not going to work. You're not three you're not games that. in, yeah. two games with the quarterback. You're going to ride for the rest of the season. It's not working. You're you're right. I mean, this is and this is now going, you know, two years in a row now where the offense and just the the team in general. I mean, the offense got off to a slow start last year. I mean, uh, Ole Miss game, Louisville, uh, and then obviously at USF it kind of got things going with the, with a good uh, ground game where Dalvin kind of broke out against USF, UNC. Uh, the offense looked good for most of the game, but bogged down in the red zone a few times, if I recall, or at least after they passed the 40. Uh, but, man, I mean, just this the lack of identity early on in the season ha- has been disturbing. And it's been that way on defense, too. A little bit better this year. They have a better grasp of what they are. They just haven't been performing to what I, I think the talent level is on, on that side of the ball. Uh, 
And there's something to be said for, like, coaching and adjusting. You get the guys in the right spot eventually. But, man, you can't get yourself in a hole each year. They're one and two after three games this year. We're talking about this on October 2nd. Last year on October 2nd, they were, what, three and two? So that's you're, – you're talking about what, four, four, and, four and four <laughs> in your last in, – in, on October 2nd, the last two years combined. I mean, that's – 500 football is not okay at Florida State. And discussing the inefficiency of the offense – my point is that Blackman had 11 completions. If you take out his top three completions, he had like eight completions for 28 yards Yeah, outside of those. That's just not consistent enough. And I'm all for the haymakers. Mm-hmm. I want big plays. I think that's what the offense can be. Mm-hmm. Cam makers making them, him making them, the receivers making them. I certainly think that is their strength at this point. But you got to have more consistency in the down-to-down. you you got to stay in front of chains, set yourself up in short distances, be able to go play action. They're doing a poor job of that. With the rushing attack, you got the 69-yard rush by Patrick, 27-yard rush by um, Cam Akers. Akers. Yeah. That's 96 rushing yards there. The rest of their rushes, 53 yards on 41 rushes. Yeah, not good. And you know I what? Mean, you can't just, take out the big plays because that, if that is what they're going to be. Those matter a great deal. But, but there's a complete lack of ability of consistently moving the ball to even the slightest degree. Yeah, you, you, you can't have yeah, a 69-yard run and then a bunch of stuffs. I mean, had, I can't remember uh, off the top of my head for sure. It was either four or five drives that ended in negative yards. Uh, Their average down in distance against Wake Forest on third down, 10.8 yards to go. Uh, it's just nuts. And they're one of the – I think they're maybe the fourth-worst team nationally in third down conversion percentage, and that's why. You're not giving yourself a chance uh, on third down. Play in front of the chains is yeah. one of those things that coaches love to say. FSU's awful at it. But how do they do that? I think that's the issue is, is the – the running backs aren't getting consistent creases. Um, Akers, as he looks super talented, uh, has a tendency to try to push the ball, kick it to the outside. He got in trouble a couple times. There's a guy upstairs getting paid about $8 million a year to figure out how to do it. Yeah. He needs to start earning $8 million a year. <laughs> I think a lot of fans feel that way, too. Yeah, man. I mean, the, the issues are results, and right now the results aren't looking great. And, and part of this is a small part of this is reactionary. We're coming off of you know, FSU's one and two, but but also, man, this has been a consistent theme for a few years now, and that's kind of the it's balance. It's not micro, it's macro. Yeah. FSU has clear-cut issues. Yeah, that, that consistently arise. The offensive line is poor, and it's been bad for years, but it is horrendous currently. That That is consistent. There have been different guys across those five there. There's the same guy coaching them, and there's the same guy calling the offense. And, and there's just... Yeah, I mean, the offensive line, I, I, we already got It's not good, and it's going in the wrong direction this season and in the long term. Outside of 13 and 14, uh, there just haven't been a lot of really good seasons on that offensive line. Um, they'll it, have better games because they'll play lesser teams as far as talent up front, but it, it's it's a consistent issue. In the last two years, how many offensive linemen have been drafted off the top? Well, Rod, Rod obviously, won. was last year. Year um, before? No one from that, that previous group that, after that 15 season, right? Matias was an undrafted free agent. That was 14, though. That was 14. You had Trey Jackson, and you had Bobby Hart as an undrafted free agent. So that final. So I'm saying the last two years, nothing, right? Right. Wide receiver, what have they had drafted in the last two seasons? Nothing. Yeah. Uh, There's some issues here that are. They're not recruiting bad players. They're recruiting guys that national schools want, that schools value, that schools believe can turn out to be really good players. Now, there can be some argument about that at offensive tackle. They've kind of fallen short in that regard there. But in general, Talking about those two position groups, yeah. they've gotten really good players. I mean, you've gotten a blue chip guy, and in, in Landon Dickerson is a guy everybody wants. Everyone, Landon's yeah. Landon and Alec Everly have been the two best offensive linemen through mm-hmm. two games. Everly's been the most consistent overall. Landon probably brings the most value as far as positives. Yeah, um, but he's had also more negatives than I would say Alec has. Had. Leonard hasn't been at bad either on the right side. He's been okay. no, but he, 
his shortcomings have been kind of glossed over because left has been so bad. Well, that, that, that's fair. Um, one thing before then we, we move on, because we talked about the running game, we talked about the passing game, uh, a lack of continuing consistency. So, so James Blackman dropped back 26 times on Saturday. Five of those plays were, quote, unquote, successful based on down and distance. Um, that's just not good. And three of those happened in the fourth quarter. It's less than 20%. Yeah. And three of those happened in the fourth quarter. And you're not building confidence with James. I mean, he is still in a stage of his career where he knows what he can do, but he doesn't know that he can do it in this offense with the guys surrounding with him. Mm-hmm. I, I think he needs to be put in more potentially successful situations. And that's that's really difficult to, to see how this is going to improve moving forward with so many question marks on the offensive line and with the running backs who they have their runs here and there. I think we saw Patrick look good in – in certain plays, in certain situations. Effort but was better. Yeah. Effort was better. We did see him push forward. We Good to see him get a couple of those screens. Yeah. But not enough plays from guys who you count on to take the pressure off Blackman. Mm-hmm. And Akers is going to be hit or miss at this point, I think, right? He, he's well, going to offer some dynamic stuff. He's going to do some things that are a little boneheaded because he's – He's going to pull the freshman. I want to yeah. pop things outside. Yeah. And Jimbo spoke about that after the game, and that's certainly true, but – Cam has also shown a willingness to block, which the average freshman will not. He's also shown a willingness to drop the shoulder and end the play. Mm-hmm. He'll end the play. He does. And that's big. Those, physicality is an important thing out mm-hmm. of a freshman running back. The thing with Cam is you have to teach him that not everything is going to go for a touchdown. And that's yeah. exactly what Jimbo said. It's entirely true. When you're, when you're a guy that's immensely talented like that young man is and who had extremely good success in the high school level and who it came sort of easy to because mm-hmm. he was so incredibly special – when you take that step up, you got to realize that sometimes a six-yard run is the equivalent of a high school six-yard run. It's just take what you can get. You're, he's going to get his. He's going to have his opportunities to break the big ones. Mm-hmm. He's been very close on about seven runs so far this year where he's been, you know, one guy away from busting a big one. It's going to come. He has to realize that he needs to be more consistent on taking what they're giving on the shorter ones. You know, if – if you've got the three-yard hole, take the three-yard hole. Don't try to pop it outside because you might lose three. You know, mm-hmm. if you had a really good line and unit around you and your receivers were blocking really well and you could extend plays and something might create itself, then you do that. But currently FSU's offense can't do that. They can't afford to go be, yeah, be behind the chains. Did you know that Cam Akers used to play quarterback in high school? I've heard it a time or two. I wonder if on the call show this week we might have back-to-back callers asking about the wild Cam. That would be fantastic. <laughs> uh, to that point, Chris, they I remember Dalvin Cook talking about that, learning how to take just the three- or four-yard run, even just a two-yard run. Sometimes that's fine. You get two yards, you live to fight Del- another down. Dalvin was talking about that at the end of his freshman year. I think Cam's yeah. realizing that three games into his it's, Yeah, it's just, and Jimbo's pointing this out. Man, he, he did play quarterback, and I was joking. He did play quarterback in high school. This is completely different, playing tailback. And, and it's, it's he has different type of thing that he needs to. He has different type of, of agenda and, and goals that needs to accomplish on every run. He's not trying to bust off a big play, like you said. He's been good, though. He's been good. You, you like what you see. I mean, he's he's the guy who needs to keep touching the ball because something special can happen. I, I think the reason why you see Jock West Patrick in there is because he's a little bit more steady. I firmly believe if you gave Cam Akers 22 to 25 carries in a he's game, breaking he's breaking one, gonna, right? He's gonna yeah. You're going yeah. gonna to be more productive in the running game than if anybody else touches a ball in those touches. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. I agree. Just right now, the offensive identity, um, Bob mentioned this, it just it's not – it's not succinct. I get part of that is you have a true freshman quarterback. You've had injuries. Uh, 
but but a lot of things like the bubble screens aren't working. Jimbo talked about that two weeks ago. Like that's part of uh, the extended running play. Like no, come, it, it, that's not your team's strength. It's never been something you've been particularly good at, aside from when you had Jameis Winston and throwing it to Kenny Shaw. When the receivers aren't blocking very well, which and I'm that's part of it too. Right yeah, now, those plays aren't going to be effective. No, you're right. So, it, it's a key block that frees it up for the guy to go be an athlete and run vertically. Yeah, whatever's working right now. The last two weeks on offense just hasn't hasn't been there. They have to find ways to better cater it to James Blackman. I think they have called games pretty scared and timidly with him. Uh, he hasn't proven that he's going to make a lot of stupid mistakes right now. He may miss some throws. He's only had maybe one or two passes that could have been intercepted. Um, part of this offense just needs to kind of get some momentum, too. They've had some bad luck uh, where e- even just, just the team scoring in general, like Derwin James' kickoff return for a touchdown, call back. Uh, James Blackman scores on a rushing play. Uh, Josh Ball gets pegged for a holding call, and he he completely uh, he grabbed the guy and tackled him, and it was he the right call. Him. Yep, he did. Um, so something for them good to build on other than just a couple big plays is something that I think they need, just some consi- a nice drive that just you methodically move down the field. All right, let's talk about defense. Uh, you give up 19 points to Wake Forest. It wasn't a dominant effort. It wasn't a bad one. Again, though, two weeks in a row now we're talking about a group that, that we're expecting a lot from, uh, and it's been good, just not not great, right? I, I saw a lot of bend, and at some point I felt like it was going to break. I looked at Chris at one point in the press box late. It might have been third quarter, but at least second half. And I felt like, you know, here we go again. Mm-hmm. FSU has got to stop Wake or this game's going to be over. And it just felt like Walford was moving the ball very, very well. He had a lot of receivers to throw to between, you know, um, uh, Dorch and Serenia, the tight end, mm-hmm. really mixing it up. And, and you kind of the, Ita- the, the Italian part, and you came out with the Serenia. But Walford, you know, again, senior veteran quarterback, he's he's a good guy. He's, he's more than a game manager. He's going to move that team down the field. Mm-hmm. But I, I felt like Florida State just – just didn't get any stops. And, again, there wasn't a whole lot of emotion and energy mm-hmm. with the defense. It, it seemed very lacking, sort of similar to the NC State game, where I think they maybe watched game film and took Wake Forest for what, what they were, Wake Forest, instead of respecting them for being a veteran group that can really put a scare into you. Yeah, they just don't come out and beat the shit out of you. I mean, that's kind of <laughs> what it comes down to is is they just – aside from the Alabama game where they were at least – fast and flying to the ball it's not gonna be a physical group because that's not what they recruit they recruit speed over anything and only like Alabama and a handful of other teams nationally I think maybe Alabama's the only one that has both in in just fallout bunches they just they just I think you hit it right on the head there Bob is they, they just kind of came out lackadaisical uh, they got a couple turnovers which was nice Kyle Myers after kind of struggling against NC State NC State excuse me he looked good uh, but, but, man, you need your playmakers to make plays, and, and I just didn't see enough of that on Saturday. Derek Naughty did, Matthew Thomas did. They, I thought they mm-hmm. both played really, really well. Naughty was good. The, I mean, the defensive tackles have been pretty consistent this year. The, one of Matt's two sacks, both of his sacks went for 13 yards, but one of them he was getting basically cut low, and mm-hmm. he extended his body and ripped the guy down. It was all-out effort. Having him there and healthy, I mean, you could see the difference, and that makes with the pass rush. The, that does make a difference. The problem with the defense more than anything is they just – they don't play like a rabid dog. Yeah. I mean, plain and simple. For as talented as that bunch is and as athletic as that bunch is, they don't turn in a whole lot of plays where you go, man, they're really like, they're just impressive. Derwin will do yeah. it here and there. Matt's done it a few times. Naughty's playing a really good season so far, three games, and he's been extremely consistent in the pit. DNs have been fairly non-existent. Jalen Wilkerson probably was the best DN on Saturday. That puts a big smile on Brendan's face. Um, but I thought he played the best of the guys that we saw out there at the end. You know and they, they had a very minor impact on that game, and some of that's quick passing. But at some point, 
Teams are going to do that to you. Syracuse is going to walk in and do that to you for sure with Eric Dungy. you got to get used to disrupting plays, whether that's putting a guy on the ground, cleaning up where the guy can run, you know, limiting lanes, getting your arms up and batting balls, or dropping back and irritating guys on short routes. you got to have an impact on the game. It can't be 11 versus 9. Mm-hmm. And right now with the DNs, it's been very much 11 versus 9 in the three games. They miss Demarcus Walker. I mean, I think I think one the consistency and the cons- he, energy that he brought, but two he his forced pockets. Yes, to he, one direction he disrupted where it. Else could go, I remember and they don't have that quite right now. Yeah, I remember looking at the, going back and doing the defensive film review over the summer and saying, man, there's times I think it was against Syracuse where he got it wasn't a triple team, but three guys slid towards him. It was a double team yeah. with a third one. He opened it up and let other guys eat. I mean, that, that's what he did. And I think part of when you were projecting of what this defensive line could be was that you know a, a Josh Sweat was going to take the next step, Brian Burns was going to take the next step. And you're going to have guys on the edge that can create pressure. But without that push in the inside of the pocket, they're not getting it consistently enough. And like you said, Chris, some of that is quick passing. NC State, Wake Forest have been fine passing it quick. Alabama, Jalen Hurts was just – as soon as something wasn't open, he was fine tucking it and and running. And they did – the D-line did a fairly good job in that game. Oh, which game? In the Wake Forest game. They were Overall, because they they limited run. Wolford had the one big one for about 30-plus. But outside of that, Wake had to earn every running yard mm-hmm. they got in that game. Mm-hmm. And from a receiving standpoint, pressuring the quarterback, they didn't really – Wolford didn't have all day, but they also never put him on the ground really. Yeah. And that, that's the issue is you can't – you're too talented of a bunch defensively, and not just a front, but as a whole, to allow quarterbacks to feel that comfortable in the pocket. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing in college football – playing defense is creating turnovers. And FSU's done a very poor job of that, despite the ones they created in this game. They just aren't putting teams in a bad position where, you know, bad decisions are made. Mm-hmm. And they've done a really, really poor job in three games of that. Yeah. With Hurts, it was very much they kind of played a keep them in the pocket, make them into a passer, mm-hmm. which I understood. But the last two, what have they done to alter the way Walford or Finley want to play the game? I don't really feel like they did much. Walford, yet. I think they got him to press a little bit towards the end. Kind of started a, well, that, I, a little bit yeah, with the pressure they got because yeah. Wake was, you know, not cashing in for yeah. the points that they yeah. could easily. So, so get. a little bit, but yeah, I mean, against NC State, um, nothing. They didn't. They didn't. They barely. I don't even know that. They, I forget if they even touched um, Finley. They didn't. They didn't sack him. I forget if they even really hit him. Again, I know the quick passes, like you said, Chris, are part of it. You got to create disruption somehow. The, the it is not great. And you you mentioned, uh, I mean, looking at the ends, like Brian Burns, he has three tackles, one solo, nothing for a loss. Um, Josh Sweat has one tackle, nothing for a loss, no sacks. And he did it in all fairness. I think he did his leg look like it was bothering him a little bit. Um, in the latter part of the game. In the, in the second half. Um, it just it, it not looking you know, – Jalen Wilkerson, good against the run. He's not going to be the answer as a pass rusher. That's, that's not who he is. Kando, I don't think, is quite there yet. He's better against the run you know, at the, this point. Kando, there was one play where he got popped pretty good on the sideline, but his effort to and chase on He's going to have effort. Like, that was abundantly clear in yeah. high school. He's just gonna, that and his size are going to carry him early on until the technique and, and the instincts get there too. But, yeah, he, I, he cares. I think as a whole, FSU needs to light some fires under some butts on their roster. I think they're – and I think we're starting to see that. We saw Taylor not play as much, and I think that was Stanford Samuel. Jimbo kind of hinted at that during – his, uh, his TV show, he liked him. I think he mentioned him in the call-in radio show, too. He didn't say anything to us about him, but that, that's fun. I guess we didn't ask. But So he mentioned as that as being a rookie that he liked that's been physical a couple times. Uh, you know who looked good was uh, Dontavious Jackson. I don't yeah. think I mean, he didn't light the world on fire, but when he hits you, he strikes and finishes through, and that's something that optically we don't see. You know, we, we, That's redundant. But we don't see that a ton from from this defense. This guy's just wanting to strike you and hurt you and punish you. Uh, DJX does bring that of nothing else, right? I mean, he does have he does have that uh, to his game. 
I think they fully expected Hoskins to play, and then you know, sort of maybe that morning figured out that Hoskins wasn't ready with the next sprain. And it, it's good to see Dontavious was a guy who was, let's just say it, he was in the doghouse. He wasn't performing up to standard. He had a little bit of a weight issue, some injuries in the preseason. So now it was, it was good to see him be there when needed. He showed that kind of in his freshman year when he had to fill in for MT6 after the targeting against Wake and get that start. So to see him yet again come in, he was a guy maybe two weeks ago that you thought, well, I don't know how the season's going to go. But now he turns in a performance that's very encouraging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did, and that's something to, to build off of. You're looking for positives from that game. Got, got Special teams was positive. It was. I mean, you had the holding, the holding, and a lot of the ball, Bob talk about it. This is your time to shine. Keith Gavin set up their touchdown. Yeah. I mean, if, if Keith Gavin yeah. doesn't have an 81-yard return into the red zone, mm-hmm. I don't think Florida State has a shot at, at getting a, a touchdown before the, the Blackman to, yeah. uh, to Tate, you know, bomb toward the end. Gavin made a huge return. That was a big momentum spark, I think, for, for the team. And the offense knew, hey, we've got a golden opportunity. We've got to make something happen. I think Patrick had three straight runs, including the one-yard touchdown on that. So they they went with Patrick. He made he made sure he took care of business mm-hmm. there. Um, really frustrating to see the, the Derwin James return get called back because was it on Fre- it. they called on Fred Jones but it looked like it was on Patrick yeah right on the, on on the, the replay stat sheet it was definitely credited to Fred Jones but watching it in real time watching the replays there Fred Jones at, that at was BB&T, way it, it it if it was on Fred I couldn't see it, it I don't think it was and Patrick had one where it looked like he basically two hands shoved a guy but it was truthfully behind Derwin at that point yeah. Derwin had already gone beyond that that was time. one of those things just Jock West don't touch him yeah there yeah. and that doesn't give him the chance if to you call can read it. his name yeah. lift up your hand yeah exactly yeah. Um, but yeah that was frustrating because that was again trying to get some kind of momentum that would have been great for, for them that game might be entirely different because oh if you're good up on Wake Forest it's clear this team game. lacks yeah. kind of a pizzazz and energy I mean mm-hmm. I, I was doing a lot of sideline watching on Saturday they didn't even look that energetic when they scored when yeah, Derwin it, scored <laughs> it's just kind of lacking right now I mean the funniest thing I saw I think it was T-Mac and Derwin at one point were kind of bobbing and singing they, the defense wasn't on the field mm-hmm. but it was just funny that was like the only time I really saw any like emotion or something going on on the sideline from the players yeah they're it's a kind of stoic bunch and I get it. I think there's a lack of confidence and all that going on right now but at some point you just got to try to kind of power through. That's where when we – so let, let's look at this you know, macro, uh, the win. To win a game, like it means something. I know it was oh, ugly. Yeah. We, we don't you – know, Chris, you said this game was you're, – you're less optimistic about the team moving forward, Bob, a little bit more. I think none of us were really wowed by that game. But to learn how to win a game like that, that means something. And not just a game, but to go and it's gritty, it's ugly, and you find a way to win when you haven't been able to do that in two previous games. Like that, that does mean something – I don't know how to quantify it, but but that is certainly something that I don't think we should should overlook as to maybe maybe they find something to build off. That was a Jimbo say find a crumb. Yeah, uh, maybe I don't know. I mean, you just you guys start somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, some of the issues that are going to be the issues for this team, I think, are going to persist regardless of wins or losses. Yeah. But if you can overcome it and put one in the left column instead of the right column, you always want to do that. Some of it will get better over time. Like the, the red zone scoring, like it's not going to be that bad. You aren't going to go through an entire season scoring. It's a little concern, though, that Auden Tate seems to be the only, the guy, only guy that can <laughs> trust in the red that zone. That can score. It is. There's reasons why they're, they've only scored a, a touchdown on a quarter of their trips into the red zone. And I'm going to be interested when SB Nation does their, their advanced metrics, their points per trip inside the 40 is not going to look great still. Yeah. That's going to be towards the bottom nationally. Um, there are system stem, systemic issues. I don't think the offensive line has a quick fix. I don't know if it has a fix at all this season. You need everyone to be healthy to have a chance to be above average. And I think that's where you are with that group. That may be your, your upside. In all fairness, the offensive line does get better as the year's gone on. We have seen that the last few years. 
years. They've been pretty horrid early in years. Well, they have and, nowhere to go but up. Um, I mean, they allow three sacks versus Alabama, four sacks versus NC State, and five sacks against. So maybe they can just get to six, seven, eight, and then start just you know gradually going in the right direction. I ha- I know these guys try to tune stuff out, but I mean they got that offensive line got thrashed by national media talking heads. I hope they aren't listening to this podcast. I mean, I just have to imagine that there's some, uh, I guess, embarrassment, for lack of a better term, I mean, in that room. And they are very – it's a self-aware group. And, I mean, I think that's kind of a thing with offensive linemen. Like, 300-pound guys typically tend to be a little bit more sensitive and, and self-aware. Like, that's kind of – Everly cares. Yeah, I mean, and he knows what's being said about him. He, yeah. He's made that clear before. Yeah. I think Minshew knows that, too, based on what he said. Like, this want to be a statement game. Those guys know what's what's out there. So it will be interesting it how they respond. I'm not, I'm not expecting some immaculate turnaround where they turn into a really good O-line. But it will be interesting from a physical standpoint mm-hmm. how they respond. Because my Miami's going to test them. I know we don't want to get in Miami, but they're yeah. going to get tested up front. They're, Kendrick Norton's going to try to be a son of a gun in that middle of that defensive line. They're yeah. going to test them. And, you know, if they bring a performance like they did in Winston-Salem, <laughs> Blackman ain't playing four quarters Saturday. Oof. Well, I mean, and Miami's got you – know, they have a better defensive front than Wake Forest. Uh, yeah. So let's just, just put it out there. We'll get into Miami on Thursday when we when we record our second podcast. Um, but, yeah, Miami's got the ability to present some issues for Florida State. Uh, I don't have a great feel for what Miami is, but again, we'll, we'll get into that later. One last thing, guys, before we part. Uh, did you get the feeling leaving, or you know, you guys left the game after watching that game that Wake Forest has a better grasp of what it was as a team than Florida State does? Like you just, it was to me, it was it was telling how different the identities were. One team knew exactly what it was; yeah. the other one is still trying to figure itself out. And this seems to be a consistent theme for Florida State trying to figure itself out. Great, right, yeah. entirely. I mean. Wake knows that Greg Dorch is their go-to guy. They know that he's a the guy they can trust. They know Cam Serene is going to be, or however the Italian Serene. They know that he's going to be a dependable option who's kind of a safety valve in the middle. They know Wolford's going to make smart decisions, can run it, can pass it. You know, he's completely in control of that offense. Yeah, their, their defense is sound and their special teams is good. Don Maggio and uh, Mike Weaver are both very reliable kicking mm-hmm. that ball. So they, they have a good team. Not trying to say that Saturday should have been a one touchdown game, but they're a good team. And Clawson is a good coach. We knew, I mean, yeah, and that's what Wake Forest they does. They certainly are a bunch that's been created to win, you know, seven, eight games, play for a ball this year. There's mm-hmm. no doubt in my mind they can compete for that level of success. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, I hit on it earlier. I don't think FSU knows what the heck they are as an offense. I think NC State and Wake Forest, to to a lesser degree, certain degree, are kind of those mid majors in the NCAA tournament that you don't want to play. They could. They could make a team like a Florida State look really bad, mm-hmm. and you're going to see a loss like happen at NC State. You're going to see a narrow win like you saw against Wake. You know, veteran teams who know what their identity is, they have good chemistry, they have leadership. We don't see that with Florida State yet. So we saw Wake Forest push Florida State to the brink. It very well could have been an 0-3 team. But it's good to see Florida State get an encouraging sign, get a win. But, yeah, I think we still don't know who these Seminoles are, and we're, what, a quarter of the way through the season now. Yeah. And this isn't like a this isn't just a group full. I mean, the quarterbacks are true freshmen. The running backs are true freshmen. One of the running backs is the defense is is veterans. Those are almost all those guys played significant minutes or snaps last year. The offense, like you have new pieces in there, but there are guys that were broken in. Like this isn't it shouldn't be these issues this early in the season. I think that's what the concern is. And I think we we'll all kind of we all kind of agree, and we'll wrap this up. Team lacks an identity right now. Uh, you're entering a stretch where you have. Miami coming up, and then you have to go to Duke, and then you have Louisville at home. 
it doesn't get easy. You have to figure it out real quick. And maybe maybe they found a crumb on Saturday against Wake Forest, and it's something to build off of. But, man, as we kind of enter this week, there's a lot of question marks and a lot of issues. So we'll wrap things up. Guys, thanks for joining me on the Knowles 24-7 podcast. I'm Brendan Sinone for Chris Nee, Bob Ferrante. Uh, we'll talk to you later this week.